Well, thanks, Paul, so very much for leading us in prayer. Powerful job, and uh, Dan, what an incredible time of worship uh, you led us in today. Thank you for doing that. This morning, what I want to do, I want to continue this series called Clearing the Clutter, uh, where we've been talking about uh, some issues in our marriages uh, and our relationships that just, uh, man, just, just cause us to uh, uh, really, really be far less than what God would want us to be. Uh, and this morning, what I want to do, I want to talk about uh, clearing the clutter of feelings. And, and I was thinking about this uh, on Valentine's weekend, and I was thinking, man, uh, of, uh, of all the things to talk about on uh, Valentine's Day, uh, how odd to say that uh, we need to clear the feelings out of our relationships so we can have a, uh, meet a higher calling. Now, now, uh, don't miss the point of what we're talking about today. Uh, God wants us to have feelings because he created them, all right? He created them. But what he doesn't want us to do is be driven by our feelings. And so this morning, what I want to do, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 27 through 32. And there's a section of scripture there where Jesus deals with two different scenarios, but he talks about the issue of allowing feelings to drive our choices and what we do and the disaster that will come about as, uh, as a part of that, or rather as a result of that. So read with me Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 down to 32. I hope you have your Bibles. We're going to be looking at some scripture today, and I hope you're ready to roll and study the word together today. Matthew 5, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking, of course. And he said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Scenario number two. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to be an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery as well. Valentine's Day is a day all about feelings, isn't it? I mean, from beginning to end, it's about feelings. Uh, you know, I was doing some research the other day about uh, the amount of money we spend on Valentine's Day. And I, I started once to uh, ask you to raise your hand if you spend any money on your spouse on Valentine's, but I didn't want uh, that spouse who received nothing to feel worse than they already do by you not raising your hand, all right? But on Valentine's Day, Americans will uh, spend uh, this past, uh, was Valentine's Day Thursday or Friday? I celebrated it on Friday, man. I don't know about you, but it was on Friday. We spent over $13 billion on uh, Valentine's Day presents. We uh, sent 180 million cards. We gave 196 million roses. And I love this. Uh, we gave 58 million pounds of chocolate. Now, that doesn't make any sense with every commercial you see about staying thin and trim. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all, uh, but that's just what we do. Uh, and all in an effort to say to someone, I love you. 
the question of this morning's message is not so much how to say I love you, but it is to ask the question, what do you do when the feelings in your relationship begin to die? Because they always will. Those romantic feelings never last forever. You may be saying, oh yeah, they're lasting forever in our, in our marriage, and I'm saying, you baloney. No, they don't. Researchers say that those honeymoon just... Uh, you know, goosebump kind of feelings at best only last for the first, te- first 18 months of your relationship. And then fe- feeling killers begin to come. Can you name some of them with me? How about babies, all right? How about careers? How about busy schedules? How about illness? How about age? How about wrinkles? How about pounds? How about hair that, for guys, stops growing in places you want it to grow and starts growing in places you never dreamed you'd be growing hair uh, as you begin to age? Years ago, in 1964, the Righteous Brothers came out with a song that said, you've lost that loving feeling. Now, you know, I was uh, really disappointed when I found out, and it was a long, long time. I mean, I'd sing that song. I I found out two things about the Righteous Brothers. Number one, they're not all that righteous. And number two, they aren't even brothers, you know? And and I thought, my goodness, what what a crazy, crazy thing. You know, we kind of have the feeling or the attitude that as long as we have that loving feeling with a person we're with, I'm going to stick with the relationship. But guess what? As soon as that feeling begins to leave, I'm going to start searching for somebody else who can give me that loving feeling again. My question for you that I want you to ponder hard with me this morning as we go through this message preparing to gather together around the Lord's table, a table of love and commitment and faithfulness to us on God's part to us. I want us to think about this idea. What if feelings really aren't the best thing to base our relationship, especially our marriage on, and the longevity of our marriage? What if Jesus, in this section of Scripture and others, was calling you and I as disciples of Jesus to a higher plane and to a higher calling to base our relationships on. Now remember, the definition of what a disciple is, we're all about making disciples that make disciples, and a disciple of Jesus is somebody that's following Jesus in their head, being changed by Jesus in their heart, and as a result of that, are fishing or about the mission of Jesus with their hands. My question for you this morning is, what if allowing Jesus to change our hearts from acting on impulse as a result of our feelings to something far more substantial was what he was calling all of us to do. Rather than feelings to base our relationship solely and soundly on faithfulness. Feelings or faithfulness. You see, that's your choice today. I don't care whether you've been married for a month or 39 years like I have been. The issue is you have the choice every single day in the decisions that you make with your spouse. Am I going to base what I do and think and act upon and say on my feelings or am I going to base all of that on my faithfulness? 
Now this morning I want us to look at this section of scripture and I want to share with you right up front. I have been praying all week long that I would speak uh, just out of a, a heart of compassion and I'm not putting down anybody today, all right? If you've been through divorce, uh, I, I'm not throwing uh, you under the bus and, and I would say for anybody, and I've talked to a lot of people who have been divorced and, and they're the first ones to say, man, don't anybody ever go through the pain that I've been through. So anybody's ever been divorced, I, I'm not trying to throw down on you, but what I am trying to say is let's realize what Jesus has to say about our feelings and our faithfulness. And so what I'm doing this morning, man, I want to speak with compassion, but I also want to call you to bold obedience to what the Bible has to say, okay? Do you understand that? Because that's what a disciple does. He walks with Jesus with bold obedience to whatever Jesus demands of us. Now, this morning I want to give you two demands of Jesus uh, into our lives. And they are demands. They are not suggestions. They are not clues or, uh, you know, if you want to do these things, your life will be better. Jesus as Lord and Savior has the right to demand anything of us that he wants to. And the New Testament is full of the demands of Jesus into the life of a disciple, all right? Let me give you two this morning out of this section of Scripture. Number one, write it down. I'll, I'll give it to you a couple times. Jesus demands faithfulness with our eyes. He demands faithfulness with our eyes. Even though our feelings frequently lead us into sin. Jesus demands faithfulness with our eyes even though our feelings frequently lead us into sin. Now, that's what Jesus talks about in verse 27 through 30 of our scripture text this morning. We want to study into that and see what the rest of scripture has to say about this section of scripture. You know, Jesus begins in verse 27 by affirming the, uh, the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter 13, and verse 4, uh, the Hebrew writer says the marriage bed must be kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now in John chapter 8, I want you to put a bookmarker here, and I want you to go two, three books over to the right, three books to the right, to the Gospel of John, the 18th, uh, 8th chapter. Because there, Jesus comes in direct, uh, 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 direct uh, 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 presence of an individual uh, who was walking in adultery and some individuals that were accusing her of her sinful lifestyle. And I just want us to look at this section of Scripture because there are really two different groups of people that are driven by their feelings in this section of Scripture. John chapter 8, verse 2. The first group uh, is actually a person, and that's the adulterous woman. Look what it says in verse 2 through 4. It says, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, and where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the Pharisee, teachers of the law and the Pharisees uh, brought in a woman caught in adultery. Your mind has to go, how was she caught? Who did the catching? Were they there? Why were they there? And on and on and on the question has to be asked. But they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now what is Jesus do with this woman. This woman who was acting 
uh, you know, out of her feelings. Certainly that's why she was in the midst of an adulterous relationship because she was allowing her feelings to take her where she knew in her mind she shouldn't go. How would Jesus respond to her? Well, in the last two verses, verse 10 and 11, Jesus offers grace to her, but he offers her grace in the context of repentance. Notice what he says in verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they, your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, and watch the last statements. Then neither do I condemn you. That's grace. But go now and leave your life of sin. That's repentance. You see, somehow we have in, the, in our minds that grace means just forgiveness and just looking the other way and saying, oh, just go on about anything you want to do. Any kind of lifestyle has to be okay, whatever choice that you feel good about, then I just got to get out of the way and allow you to feel good about it. But that's not Bible and it's not Jesus. Jesus offers this woman unconditional love and grace and forgiveness. But in the midst of that, he calls her to what? To repentance. Change the way you're living. Why does he say that? Because he knows that if all he does is give forgiveness, the woman will quickly go right back into a lifestyle driven by feelings. And Jesus said, you need to change the way you're living. Folks, I want to uh, explain to you that that's what the gospel is all about. And that's the gospel available to each one of us here today. I don't care whether you've heard it a gazillion times, whether you've been in church all of your life, I am totally convinced that there may be more lost people sitting in church every Sunday than we can possibly imagine. And maybe this, the church, ought to be a major, major mission field uh, for the gospel. Because just because you're in church doesn't mean you know Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. Let me ask you this question. Is the Holy Spirit working in your heart day by day by day as a result of the salvation that you've received through Jesus Christ? If he's not, then folks, I want to encourage you as we move through this time of, uh, of studying the Word and the communion, even in the response time, I want to encourage you to think back about the gospel and the gospel that you received or did not receive. And I don't care who you are, elder, preacher, I don't care who you are. You don't know Jesus as Savior of your life, and if he's not changing you from the inside out, now I don't care, you might be a church member, but if you don't know Jesus as Savior, man, you're looking forward to a lost eternity without Jesus. Do something about it today as we close out the service in the why. There was the adulterous woman, but then there was a group of self-righteous accusers that we see in the story as well. Verse 3 says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it was commanded for us to stone such a woman. And what do you say about it? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. Now, notice that Jesus, to these self-righteous accusers, calls for self-examination. He said, don't look at everybody else. 
to look deep inside your own hearts and examine who you are. You see, self-righteous, prideful people rarely look inside their heart. They're always pointing out the problems in everybody else's life, but they never see what's going on inside their own life. In verse 6, the last part of verse 6 down to verse 9, Jesus, it says, bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when he, uh, they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said, if any one of you is without sin, let him first throw a stone, be the first to throw a stone at the woman. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground a second time. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus wrote. But as I've studied through this passage of Scripture, and as I've studied through Jesus' propensity to tie together Old Testament Scripture to New Testament action anytime he was talking to the Pharisees, I realized that there was a tradition of the Pharisees and a passage of Scripture that it was based on that may explain exactly what Jesus was writing. Now, don't put this as a tattoo on your arm. And uh, This is my opinion. If you differ from me, that's cool. We don't know what Jesus wrote. But leave John chapter 8 and go to your Old Testament Scripture to the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, fourth book of the Bible, the book of Numbers and chapter 15. The book of Numbers, chapter 15. And I want you to notice something about a practice that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of, of the Jewish people, uh, that, 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 they, that they had. And it really was about their dress and their attitude to, to the clothes they wore when they were in public. And you'll say, what on earth does this have to do with John 8? Everything. Read with me what it says. Uh, Numbers chapter 15, verse 37. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses. And he said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make, watch this, you are to take tassels, make tassels, on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You get it? You wear robes. At the bottom of the robe, I want to have blue tassels from the robe. You say, what on earth is that all about? Verse 39. And you will have these tassels to look at so that you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your hearts and your eyes. Then you'll remember to obey all my commands and you, will consecrate, uh, uh, and you will be consecrated to the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt uh, to be your God. I am the Lord your God. You see, the Pharisees prided themselves on the long flowing robes that they wore whenever they were in public. They would come to the temple and they were all dressed up and they looked so righteous and so religious and their robes were perfect and the long tassels flowed from their robes and everybody would look at them and say, well, that must be a righteous person. Look how they're dressed. But could it be that as Jesus stooped on the ground, he looked beyond the way they were dressed to the condition of their heart. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches us that God is never impressed with our outward appearance, but it is the pure in heart that will see God. You see, if you go back to the text that we have, Matthew chapter 5, you will notice three very important things in this section of Scripture 
when it has to do with lust. I want you to notice this. It really uh, is it, three different body parts. And what, you want, what I want you to understand is that in this section of Scripture, Jesus says the holiness of his disciples has to go deeper than their outward appearance. The appearance that we portray to everybody else on the outside. That our commitment to him must go and our holiness toward him must go to the faithfulness that God sees when he looks in our hearts. I just got to ask you the question. When God looks in your heart, and he does, constantly, does he see a holy person? Or does he see an unholy person? Three words that I want you to notice in this section of scripture. The first is the word heart. In verse 27, 28, Jesus says, you have heard that it was says, do not, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his what? Say it out loud, in his heart, in his heart. The, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the heart is the wellspring of life. Everything flows out of the heart. Jesus says repeatedly, and, but he, uh, I'll give just one reference. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, a good man brings good out of the good things stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. Friends, did you realize that your heart, the Bible says, is the temple of the very Holy Spirit of God? That is uh, according to uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And the issue is, Jesus is saying, how dare you take the very temple of God, your heart, and allow it to be filled with filth and lust and impurity. Second word is the word eyes. First, heart. Second is eyes. In verse 29, Jesus says, uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I've never seen anybody do that. And I've read a lot of commentators say, oh, no, that Jesus really wasn't saying that. He's just kind of giving a hyperbole, just kind of an example uh, that he wants you to really think about what you look at. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says heaven and hell and your eternal destination is so critical that if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> if we were honest and we were following Jesus, I don't think there would be one person here in this room this morning that wasn't blind here today. Can I get an amen on that? Not one. Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, he says the eye is the, eye is the lamp of the body. He says, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Job 31 verse 1, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Heart, eyes, then your hand. I really had a difficult time trying to figure out what this was all about. Aaron, Aaron and I discussed this, and our elders and I uh, discussed this the other night, and I, I kind of went someplace that I had heard someone talk about a long, long time ago. And Aaron and I really struggled with this. How could I talk about the hands in this? And then based on what we read in John chapter 8, boom, the light went off. And I realized that 
what Jesus was talking about. Watch what he says, verse, 20, uh, verse, uh, verse 30. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I think Jesus is talking about the judgmentalism of our fingers pointing at other people rather than allowing ourselves to look at our heart. Does that make sense to you? You know, according to statistics from X Church, 94% of all Americans, 94%, say there ought to be a ban on Internet pornography. And, 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 I, and I'm saying it. If I took a vote here this morning, how many people here really believe that uh, Internet pornography ought to be banned? Every hand here would go up if you're awake. Every, no question, every hand would go up. But you know what their statistics say about people that go to church every single Sunday? I'm not talking about heathen out there someplace. I'm talking about people that go to church every single Sunday. The statistics say that 66% of all guys who attend church regularly, including us here today, 66% have surfed a, a pornographic website during the last seven days. And ladies, uh, it doesn't let you off at all, 34% of all women who attend church on a regular basis, has done so as well. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, uh, 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 I just got to say, uh, if you're totally perfect and pure and holy and your eyes are always focused and uh, you don't see a pretty girl walk by in Walmart not dressed the way she should and your eyes don't go like this, or ladies, whatever turns y'all on, I don't know about us guys. I, I don't have a clue, but I just know it happens. And if you're so righteous that you never ever notice or look or think or have any issues with lust in your heart, God bless you. God, I am so thrilled with that. But I want to tell you, they're not a whole lot of y'all, all right? I, I grew up in church. I thought, I really, this is the honest and truth, I thought there were three sexes in church. I thought there were men, women, and ministers. I really did think that. And, uh, you know, my minister growing up had two kids. I wasn't sure how those kids got into the world, but I, was, I knew exactly how they didn't. I was I just totally convinced of that, man. But, you know, I, I, I'm a man, all right? And, and uh, I wish I could say I don't ever look this way or that way uh, in church. But, you know, uh, that happens, that happens. And, and I just want you to understand that Satan loves to capture all of our hearts. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Watch yourselves, watch out yourself, or you too may be tempted. Friends, we've got some serious work that needs to be done about our own uh, eyes and where they look. Well, that's one thing. I want to talk about another issue, not near as long. Uh, and let me give you, uh, back in our scripture text, uh, one other demand of Jesus. One, Jesus demands that we stay faithful with our eyes. Number two, Jesus demands faithfulness in our marriages. Jesus demands faithfulness in our marriages. Even though our feelings say, may say it's time to leave. Jesus demands faithfulness in marriage, even though our feelings may say it's time to leave. 
Look at what Jesus says in verse 31 32. He said, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. I want you to understand that Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce is straight shooting and difficult and hard to follow. But we live in a society that just simply says, if I'm not feeling it, man, it's time for me to cruise. But Jesus raises the bar higher for his disciples. And he says, if you're not feeling it, then be faithful until you feel it again. That makes sense to you? You're not feeling it? Just hang in there. Be faithful until you feel, uh, be faithful until the feelings come back again. Here Jesus talks about divorce and marriage. He does so in Mark chapter 10, the first 12 verses, and in Luke chapter 16, verse 8. Hard-hitting, straightforward, man. He talks about divorce, and he's all about it. But I want you to go with me to the book of Mark, uh, Matthew, the 19th chapter, because here, more clearly than any other place, Jesus talks about the issue of divorce and remarriage. And I want you to notice what he says. And there are four things that I want to point out in this section of Scripture. Number one, Jesus says marriage is never easy. Can I get an amen on that? Marriage is never, ever easy. Verse 3. He says in verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him and ask him, is it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Verse 7. Jesus, uh, uh, why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate, a divorce, and send her away? Now, that statement was based on an Old Testament passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 through 4, that, where Moses gave people the ability to write a certificate of divorce and send your wife away. Now, there were really two schools of thought on this in Jesus' day. One was that you could only divorce your wife uh, if, if, I mean, it was just gross immorality. That's the only way that you could get out of that marriage. There was another school of thought that says, you know, if your wife just ticks you off for pretty much any reason, burns the toast in the morning, you just don't like her, you could send her away. I'm not making this up. This was the philosophy that Jesus was teaching in on. But Jesus says marriage, number one, is never easy. Number two, he says, marriage is a sacred work of God. Marriage is the sacred work of God. It's not just two people getting together and saying, hey man, let's shack up for a while, see if it works, and then let's go through the process of getting married. That's not what Jesus says. He says marriage is a sacred work of God. Verse 46. He says, haven't you read that in the beginning the Creator made the male and female, and He said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife, and the two of them will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Number three, marriage vows are broken because of hard hearts. Marriage vows are broken because of hard hearts. That's what Jesus says in verse 4 to verse 6. He said, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 8 and verse 9. It says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It's always a heart problem, Jesus says. But it was not this way from the beginning. 
I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And number four, marriage should never be entered into lightly. Verse 10 to 12. Verse 10, it says, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, isn't it better not to get married at all? And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are some who are eunuchs because they were born that way, others made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, I've said all of that about marriage. And you're sitting here thinking to yourself, but you're not married to the jerk I'm married to. Or you're saying, you aren't putting up with the kind of stuff that I'm having to put up with. Or you might be saying, there is no way I'm going to be happy as long as I'm in this marriage. Or you might be saying, anybody would leave this marriage if they were kind of putting up with the stuff that I'm putting up with and they're walking in my shoes. Can I say two things to you about that? Number one, you're absolutely right. Anybody would leave a marriage that has problems. But friend, you aren't anybody. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to a higher standard than anybody else in the world around you. You see, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, you know that all the reasons that you have to break up your marriage covenant come from inside your hard heart. And you are constantly saying, as a disciple of Jesus, transform my heart into a heart like yours. How's that happen? I give you two words. One, through the word. Through the word. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is active and living. It's sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates the dividing, the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. Another word is the word ask. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, your father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks for it. Oh, so I want to tell you something. Being a Christian is not about following rules. Being a Christian is about the transition that God makes inside of your heart as the Holy Spirit resides there. Study the Word. Ask Him to fill you more fresh and new every single day with His presence in your life and ask Him to change your heart. One other reason why our, our idea uh, about uh, the hardness of your heart, of this issue of just being like everybody else in the world, Friends, I want you to understand that as a disciple of Jesus, you have been called to a higher principle. Listen to this. Faithfulness, not feelings, is the mark of a disciple. Folks, I just want to close by saying if you let your feelings guide your actions, it's always going to destroy your faithfulness. But if you as a disciple will grow in your faithfulness to your spouse, God will grow your feelings. Folks, God loves a married relationship. And God loves feelings inside of that married relationship. And God loves romance inside of that married relationship. And God even loves sexual relationship inside that married relationship. You don't believe that? Go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. It says they were both naked and they weren't ashamed. That's in a married relationship. 
you don't understand that God wants romance and a married relationship, you need to go back and read with your spouse with candlelight and a good spot, the Song of Songs. Man, I want to tell you something. You're going to have a happy night if you do that. I promise, man, you just can't go without doing that. Folks, the issue is, are you going to be driven by your feelings or are you going to be driven by your faithfulness? Feelings are faithfulness. Folks, communion is all about a Savior who went to the cross, as Paul said earlier, in spite of his feelings. Because your Father, your Heavenly Father, and our Heavenly Father is always faithful to us. Let's pray together as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. Father God, I just pray that you would take uh, the bread and the cup today. And Father, that you would speak in to the hearts of people that are here today, especially those that uh, have hearts so encrusted with hardness and uh, that they have no softness to you or to their spouse or their married relationship or to anybody. Father, break us down today by your incredible love for us. As we take the bread this morning as it's passed and eat it, as we take the cup this morning as it's passed and we drink it, Father, help us to remember again your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.